As we come now um, to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, we know that praying is powerful. We know that it's powerful because not so much the words we say, but because you are powerful and you have promised us to hear our prayers. You promised us to respond to our prayers. You promised that you would work through our prayers that as you inform our lives about your will, about what pleases you, about what you love, about, about what you have promised to bring about, then, then, then you, you call us to pray about that. And an amazing um, thing, you respond then to our praying. And so now we pray. We pray that which believe is according to your will, that you would open our eyes to see that which is true, that you would enable us to believe, that you would clothe us in this truth and in the very righteousness of Christ, understanding this gospel, that we may know this salvation, that we may be armed with faith, and that we may then take this truth praying and stand against anything that might come our way and stand in this faith that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, now I pray you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Daniel, Old Testament prophet. Daniel in chapter 10, please. You're aware of the fact that Advent is coming week after next. You may wonder how I'm going to finish Daniel before Advent. And that is, I'm going to take up both chapters 11 and 12 next Sunday. And you may wonder how I'm going to do that. Me too. (laughs) But today is Daniel chapter 10. Please, this is the word of God. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Aphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was 
fearfully changed, I, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And I said to him, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I, I stood up trembling. And Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I've come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, Pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Well, you know, we come to scripture, um, we, we come to first listen. We come not first to ask, but come first to listen. You know, we mentioned last Sunday that when we, when, God's, when we read the scripture, it's God speaking to us. We respond to him by praying and obeying, if you will. We respond to him verbally by praying. That's what praying is. It's talking to God. When they came to ask Jesus to teach them to pray, he said, say this. So prayer is... is, is, is is, is our uh, response, if you will, talking to God. And so we, we come first to listen and then to speak. Uh, that is to say, we want God to initiate the conversation. We want God to, to start talking. You know, if we begin coming to him with questions, they may be the wrong questions. Right? And so we come first to listen, formulate our questions. Come first to listen. So we come to listen first uh, to this uh, particular passage to hear what God is saying. And, and, and what we find here is, is that this, this chapter 10 is an introduction really to the vision that Daniel will receive um, after this introduction. It comes to us in chapters 11 and 12. So it's an introduction. It's a, it's a preparing him to hear this, to see here this last uh, vision to get this last revelation uh, from God, which I said we'll take up next Sunday. We, we realize it comes to Daniel at a particular time and place. 
It's the third year of the reign of King Cyrus. Now, King Cyrus was the, the king who came and conquered Babylon, this Persian king, and he conquered Babylon, and, and that was in 539-ish BC, and so now it's three years into that, so it's, it's 536-ish, 535-ish BC, and, and, and significant in Cyrus, uh, conquering Babylon is that he gave permission, even sent back any uh, Jews that wanted to go back to Jerusalem and to Judea, to Judah, and, and to, to, to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He, he sent them back. Thousands had gone by this time. He had sent them back to do this and even help finance it. And so, so he, he was very, very much in approval of their going back. And so, so, so Daniel now is in this situation where, the, where, where thousands have returned. Daniel not, we don't know why he didn't go. Maybe he's too old. He's in his mid-80s by this point in time. And maybe he just didn't go. You know, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Daniel didn't get to go back. And so he just didn't go as far as we know. And so, so here, here he is. Maybe he was too important still in Babylon. Maybe whatever reason. And so he didn't get to go back. He didn't, he wasn't back at least at this point in time. And so, um, but, but many had thousands had. So that's, that's the, the scene here uh, at this particular point. And, and a word comes to him, this vision that's going to come. And Daniel knows even from the get-go, it seems, unless this is just a summary statement, that it's about a great conflict. It concerns a great war. Now, again, as we've been reading our way through, especially these last few chapters of Daniel, that shouldn't surprise us that that's what this vision is going to be about. In chapter 7, there were these beastly kingdoms that were destroyed by this stone that came. And in chapter 8, there were these 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 other kingdoms. Uh, in, in, in chapter 9, uh, we see conflict even at the end of, of these 77s as Daniel sees them. So, so it, it shouldn't Shouldn't surprise us that there would be a great war, a great conflict that this is going to be uh, all about. The message that he'll receive concerns the end. Notice verse 14. It says, uh, this uh, one to whom who is speaking to Daniel says, I came uh, to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come. So, so it's going to, it's going to be about Days yet to come, these latter days, whatever that refers to. But that is, is what's happening here. That's why this one has come. And what we see, I trust you saw it as I read through it, is that there is a tremendous spiritual battle. This physical battle in the world that we can see, but a tremendous spiritual battle in this sort of this unseen world, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of God against the evil forces, Satan, and, and all of that. In fact, Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian, late 19th, early 20th century, uh, fairly well known, at least in our circles, put it like this. He said, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones 
in its backlash. And so at least by this theologian, you get this sense, and, and we get it, we understand, we've, we've talked through some of this, uh, that in fact, um, there is this spiritual battle going on. We can't see it, but there it is. I read earlier in our worship service from Ephesians and chapter 6. We've read that passage obviously before in our time together, but, 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 but Paul starts out more authoritatively than Abraham Kuyper. Uh, it starts out like this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now we do. Right. There's a struggle against we can read about it in the newspaper, one nation against another and so forth and so on. So there is a struggle that we see and that we engage. That wasn't Paul's point to say that struggle doesn't exist. But he was saying, here's something that you don't see. Here's something that's just as real. Here's something that that is that that, that, that sort of informs the struggle that we are in against flesh and blood. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, in heavenly places. Um, you know, the old King James Version put it, that we struggle against powers and principalities of this present darkness. And so we, we get the sense here, and we, and we see it here, because, because what happens as, 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 as Daniel begins is that this sort of battle is is opened up to him um, almost rather incidentally, we could say. Um, Daniel's distressed. Um, doesn't say exactly why he's distressed, but we've been reading along enough that we know there's much to distress Daniel. I mean, there's these visions that he keeps having that can be distressing. And they're about conflict. They're about his people. They're about... These people sin. They're about about uh, those uh, nations coming against his people and those visions. Uh, again, we saw in chapter seven of these beastly visions that God raises up and takes down, and and He knows that that, that His people are are in the midst of that. And in chapter eight, He sees sin again and the persecution that could come upon his people, the desecration of the temple, even though there's victory at the end. And then uh, in chapter nine, this, the end, this last seven in these 77s, um, this last one, there's conflict again against the people of God. And so, so th- that's enough to distress standard just thinking down the road, if you will. Um, and, and of course he, there's victory in all of these, but, but let's face it. That's, it's difficult to know how that will look, especially when you're in Daniel's shoes and you're in Daniel's place, you're still in exile. So how does that really look? How do we really understand that? And just as an aside, just as an aside, can I say this? I was thinking about this, talking with my son about this yesterday. We were talking about <clears throat> prophecy. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, you know, people, you, some of you have asked, why don't you get into some of these things in more detail? And I answer, because A, I don't know. And, and, and B, nobody else does either, best I can figure. And, 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 and C, I don't think we ever get predictive prophecy until after it happens. Uh, you know, I just, you know, you, the, the, the Israelites found themselves in Egypt for 400 years. I wonder if they scratched their head and said, oh yeah, this is what 
uh, God said to Abraham that we'd be here. You know, we don't have any great indication that they figured it out until, oh, after. They, oh, that's what that was about. And, and even, even the coming of Jesus. I mean, that was a surprise, right? Now, Simeon and Anna in the temple, they sort of got it. They were waiting for that, and they knew it when it happened. But, but the, the whole virgin birth thing, I mean, uh, who, I mean, yeah, there was something in Isaiah about that, but, but, oh, wow, that's what that means. And, and, and Micah talking about being born in bed. Oh, that's what that means. And, and even Jesus said, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they didn't catch that at all until after it happened. So I'm not certain. There were, you know, so I think we're going to vote for the Antichrist. Uh, we'll take that out of the tape. I, I, I don't think we're going to know it necessarily when it happens, right? We will after the fact. We're, oh, rats! That was that. That was that was him. You know, I always tell people when the Lord returns, my theology is real flexible at about two thousand feet. You know, when I'm, I'm I'm on my way up, I'll be the one with the clipboard going, "Oh yeah, that's what that was." So. So just, just take that. So, so even Daniel, he's thinking about these things. Just put yourself in his shoes. What does this really mean? How is this really going to play out? We know way better than he does, and it's confusing to us. And, and so just, I, I think that's at least helpful to me as I, as I think through these things. They're true and they're real, and I think we'll know what they mean completely one day. But for now, they're, they're, we get a sense of it, don't we? We get a sense of it, what God means by it, as I think they've got a sense of it back Back then, so there's much to distress him. Not only that, but but he's perhaps—I don't know this for sure—perhaps gotten uh, reports from Jerusalem. Thousands have gone back, and they began in the euphoria of getting back to to rebuild the temple. They built the altar, they laid the foundation, and then political problems came. Opposition came against them. You can read this in the opening chapters of Ezra, for instance. And uh, opposition came against them, and the work was stopped by this point in time. In fact, it would remain stopped for more than a decade. I don't know if Daniel would live that long to know that, but right now, he may well know that he's distressed. Everybody went back, and, and it's, it's not getting done even now. And so, so there he is finding himself in this situation of being distressed. And he prays. Now, now notice that his prayer is associated with uh, an, an expression of his own life. He he he. he, he he basically has what appears to be a relatively subsistence level of existence here. And it isn't, as we said, to bribe or butter up God or any of that. It's just simply a reflection of his own heart. Who could eat at a time like this? Who could, who could, who could, who could uh, live luxuriously or, or even in comfort when he knows all of these things are true about his own people? Or even to be true about his people. And so how could he be there? He says he doesn't anoint himself. That is, he doesn't put lotions on to, to improve his skin, to help him, to give him comfort, if you will, against the dryness of the desert and any of that. And so there he is uh, in that. And he, and he prays. And we know that he prays earnestly. We know that prayer was important to Daniel. We know that, that he would risk his life to continue to pray. At least he did risk his life to continue to pray. Hmm. A.W. Tozier, again, uh, another dead guy, but wrote an essay uh, with a wonderful title. If I just gave you the title, that would be enough. I'll read you a piece of it, just a paragraph, but I'll read you a piece of it, but, but the title is wonderful. The title is this. He, he, the title is, God Tells the Man Who Cares. Right? God tells the man or woman, God tells the man who cares. He writes this. He says, the Bible 
was written in tears and to tears, it will yield its best treasures. People who really care. He says, God has nothing to say to the frivolous man. I read that when I read this essay and it just sort of chilled me. How frivolous I can be. When I pray, I pray perfunctorily at times. I just sort of, well, I'm supposed to, so here it goes, right? And I have to stop for a minute and realize what's happening here. I'm really praying God's on the other end of this, if you will, uh, okay? And, and so not to pray frivolously. It was to Moses, a trembling man, that God spoke on the mount. And that same man later saved the nation. When he threw himself before God to to have himself blotted out of God's book for Israel's sake. Daniel's long season of fasting and prayer brought Gabriel. We saw this in Daniel chapter 9. Brought Gabriel from heaven to tell him the secret of the centuries. When the beloved John wept much because no one could be found worthy to open the seven sealed book. One of the elders comforted him with the joyous news that the lion of the tribe of Judah had prevailed. And so this is Daniel's heart, isn't it? He's not frivolous. This is so significant to him, so overwhelming to him, so so it takes over his own life that, that you can see it just 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 in how he lives. You can see it in in his lifestyle that what's really important to him isn't food. What really is important to him isn't his own comfort. What really is important to him this is people, yes, but even more so as we understood last Sunday, the glory, the honor, the name of God. That's what drives him. And so it drives him even now, and even as, as he prays. And notice his prayer uh, is, is answered. He receives this visit from this spiritual being. And, and the question is, who is this spiritual being? We always ask that because we want to know exactly who this really is. And, and the text is ambiguous. Because we can't quite figure it out. On the one hand, we want to think of this one who comes to Daniel and speaks to him as, 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 as a theophany, that is, a, as a manifestation of God. It sure seems like that, or, or even the pre-incarnate Christ. We, we read about such things in the Old Testament. Uh, we, we know about it from, from the fiery furnace, who was that fourth man. We know about it from the lions, and who was it who shut the lions' mouths? And, and, and just how he's described in, in, in linen, God is described that way in, in other prophetic books and, and uh and, uh, and lightning and, and, uh, and all these torches and fire and all of that, you see. And, and certainly Daniel's response is like having seen God. I mean, he's just, he's just flattened. He's, he's just completely weakened. Uh, at not only the knees, his whole body ends up on the ground. The only way he can get up on all fours is this, this being touches him. And, and, and the only way he can stand up is this being speaks to him and encourages him and all of that. And so you get that. You, it's, you just kind of picture Isaiah when he, when he saw God high and lifted up and boom, he was gone too. Or John when he, when he saw the, 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 when he saw Jesus and Revelation chapter one when he was in the Isle of Patmos. What did he do? He fell like one dead and the only way he could get up is Jesus leaned over and, and picked him up, if you will. And so, so you get that sense. But, but then you wonder if this is really God or the pre-incarnate Jesus who came to him, why was he delayed by this prince of the kingdom of Persia. I mean, if it was, you got to think that God would just kind of get right through that or Jesus would get right through that, if you will. So, so you wonder there, it doesn't seem 
like he would need help from another angel, Michael, to come and sort of hold force so he could run and get back. So that, that doesn't make sense so much that it would be. But whoever it is, it's, it's, this, this being is awesome. I mean, it just sucks the air right out of Daniel. And so, so you think, well, an angel, but, but not just your average angel, but the, one of the angels that attended the very throne of God who reflected the very glory of God in their being. And, and not only that, but one who was a warrior. I mean, what, what would a warrior angel look like? Now, we always you know, picture angels sort of dressed in, you know, flimsy clothing and sort of puttering around with harps. But why is it that every time they showed up, they said, don't be afraid? Uh, part of it's just the startle to see in one, I know. But part of it may be well what they look like, especially this warrior angel. I mean, if you have an angel that's warring with a demon, what would that angel look like? Right? I mean, I think Goliath would be frightened. And, and so anyway, he shows up. So there's, there's Daniel, and, and, and you get the picture of, of all that took place in, in, Daniel's, in Daniel's mind and, uh, and heart. And so this interpreting angel, this angel that comes to him, Notice in verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words have been heard and I've come because of your words. Uh, you know, if, don't be afraid. What a great word. What a great word to Daniel. I mean, he had much to fear, the visions. He had much to fear as people's progress on the temple had been halted. And now I would think he has even more to fear because he thinks all I was worried about before was the Persians or this government or that government. Now I realize that it appears that behind all of that are these demons, these evil forces, and I can't even see them. And, and so I think he'd even be more afraid uh, uh, than, than ever before, not just of the, the appearance of this Whoever it was, this angel, this spiritual being, but, but all that he, all that seems to be true because of, because of that. And, and so, uh, he, he, he says, don't, don't be afraid. And I think one of the reasons that he gives for Daniel not to be afraid is that he says, listen, God has heard your prayers. Oh. God has heard your prayers. God has, I've come because of your words. I've come because of the prayers that you've prayed. God has, God has heard your, your prayers. And you see, I think that's it, isn't it? That, that's part of it, that, that he says that, that, he, that he, you set your heart to pray. Notice how he describes uh, Daniel's, Daniel's praying. He says that he, he set his heart to pray and that he was, he was humbled in his praying. He set his heart he wasn't, you remember James 1, James chapter 1, you know the verse, verse 5 in James chapter 1. Does that come to your mind? Where James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God, but ask in faith, not double-mindedly. Don't be a double-minded man. That is, that is, that is, be single-minded. Set your mind. And, and, a, and, a, and a person who comes to God who has set his mind to come to God is someone who's humble. 
And that's how Daniel was. Humble meaning, God, I, I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I have no strength for this. I have no wisdom for this. You're the only one who has strength for this. You're the only one who has wisdom for this. And so I'm coming to you and you alone. I'm not going to anybody else. I'm not double-minded. Double-minded. I don't think you have some of it and somebody else has some of it. I don't, I'm not relying upon me at all. I'm only relying upon you. I'm only trusting you, God. So, so help me in the midst of this. And that's how Daniel sets his heart to come before God and, and, and God hears him and God listens and God sends him wisdom. God sends him this vision. He's going to lay it out at least as Daniel could understand it. Uh, he isn't a double-minded man. So, so don't be afraid. God hears your prayers. Be at peace. Does that bring to mind any other passage? How about this one? How about Philippians in chapter 4? This notion of praying and God hearing and bringing peace. The apostle writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness uh, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. That is, don't be afraid of anything. Don't be anxious about everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, this sense of peace. Isn't that what Jesus was getting at when he met with his disciples on that that night that he was betrayed before the crucifixion? He said to them a number of things, two things. One was, peace I give you. Another thing was, ask anything in my name. How can we live in the midst of terror How can we live in the midst of disease? How can we live in the the midst of potential markets collapsing? How can we live in the midst of relationships breaking? How can we live in the midst of culture changing and not be afraid? How can we live in the midst of that with any sense, any semblance of real peace? And, and, And what Daniel hears from this angel is... God has heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers. And when God has heard our prayers, can't we then have peace? He knows and he's able and he's wise. And thus, peace. And not only that, this angel has said to Daniel, God loves you. God loves you. You know that he loves you because he hears your prayers and answers them. I'm, 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 I'm an expression of that, but, but God really does. God really does love you, Daniel. And I have to ask myself, we have to ask ourselves, just as I'm listening to God through this passage, do I know that about me? Do I know that God really loves me? How do we know that God really does, in fact, love us? You know, the answer to that is we know that he loves us because Christ came to die for sinners just like us. That's how we know the very love of God. And I've had people say to me, well, if that's true, you see, how do I know that Christ has died for my sins? How do I know that Christ has died for me? If I'm to know the love of God and I must know that he, he's died for me, then how do I know that he's died for my sins? And I simply answer, well, why wouldn't he have? 
Why wouldn't he have died for your sins? He said he died for the sins of sinners. Why and would he not have died for you? Are you not a sinner? And they go, oh, yes, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner, but, but, but I don't know. But maybe he didn't die for my sins. And I said, why do you think your sins are so different than anybody else's? And why do you think your sins are so great that Christ wouldn't have died for them? Why do you think your sins are greater than the love of Christ? When he says his love is, 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 is beyond measure. So, so, so how can it be? He said, well, well, well I, I don't know. And he says, well, if you believe you're a sinner. Now, if you don't believe you're a sinner, then, then I have nothing to tell you. You'll never know the love of Christ if you don't know that you're a sinner, if you don't believe you're a sinner. I said, well, I, I know I'm a sinner, but, but I I don't know that I believe in Jesus. And I said, well, why wouldn't you? Well, because I know that if I believe in Jesus, it means also I have to follow him. And I said, well, why wouldn't you want to follow the one who died for you? I mean, why wouldn't you want to follow the one who's loved you like that? I mean, where would the one who loved you like that lead you? I mean, would he lead you astray? Would he lead you in places that aren't good for you? I mean, he died for you. He gave himself for you. He loves you like that. So, so why wouldn't you trust one who loves you like that? Only lead you in the best, most righteous paths. Oh, yeah. So I, I run myself through that more often than I probably should have to. But that, you see, I then come back. Oh, yes, I am a sinner. I can't imagine a greater one. But yet, there is this one Christ who died for sinners. I, I meet the criteria. He died for sinners like me. And his death for sinners like me is his expression of love. Therefore, he loves me. And has given himself for me. Therefore, I'm loved. So don't be afraid. Because if God loves me, God loves you, then what really is there to fear? Remember, Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can destroy your body. But be afraid of the one who can send your soul to hell. Those who believe in a sentimental Jesus have never read about the Jesus in the scripture. It's not sentimental. It's simply true. And so I needn't be afraid of one who can just take my body. The one who can take my soul has said, no, no, you're forgiven. And thus I needn't worry about that. And if I needn't worry about that, then what do I need to worry about? So he says, don't be afraid, Daniel. But then there's a spiritual battle. There's this prince of the kingdom of Persia. And then he's going to talk about this other one who's the prince of Greece. And, and you get the sense that, that these are demons. These are, the, you know, that's the activity that we're talking about there, that there's this kind of spiritual battle. And we know from the scripture that there clearly is this spiritual battle. We pick it up in the, at the get-go in Genesis chapter 3 when the evil one shows up. And the evil one shows up with a, with a, with a, with a plan to, to uh, destroy the name of God by scandalizing uh, his name, by, by taking the crown of his creation and causing a rebellion. 
through these human beings, which seem to happen. But but God says, no, I'll redeem. I'll redeem. I'll I'll, I'll deal with this. I'll crush this serpent through one who comes from the seed, uh, through the seed of the woman. And and we we see this spiritual dimension having impact into the world in which we live. We, we see it in ancient Israel and the battles that they fought. You, know, you remember the time that uh, Joshua was fighting and, Aaron, and Moses was up on the mountains and, and he was praying and, and he had two priests beside him, Aaron and her, and one would hold up one arm and one would hold up the other arm. And, and he, as he would pray, the, the battle would be going Israel's way. But then when he would tire and his, his arms would kind of fall, uh, then the battle would go the other way. And so they propped his arms up and Israel won. You remember that? And, and you remember the time that Elisha uh, uh, was with his servant and 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 and, and they, they were surrounded and his servant was nervous and Elisha wasn't and he and he, how why aren't you nervous why aren't you anxious and Elisha said well he prayed God opened his eyes and when his eyes were open he saw the armies of God these angelic beings all around too and they went oh all right gotcha we're good there remember David and David was with Goliath. All you could see is this big guy and this little kid, and this giant and this this small young boy. And 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 but David wasn't afraid. And he says, well, "Why why aren't you afraid?" He says, "Well, you come to me with sword and javelin, javelin and all of those things, and I come you come to you in the name of the Lord of Hosts." And and that's. A wonderful expression, the Lord of hosts, meaning the army of God, the angels of God. I'm with God, and, and he, has, he has this whole heavenly army that's with me. And don't, don't you know, I don't know, I, I visualize it like this. That as David had this sling going around, if that's how you did that sort of thing, that there was, there was an angel on his wrist going, you know, and he shot it, and another one grabbed it and went, boop, right? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, he, he trusted uh, David did that that, that that was that was that was really true we see it see it in the New Testament as in the passage I read to you out of Luke chapter 10 the reason I've read that passage is that when the word of God went forth and the gospel was being spoken by these disciples of Jesus Jesus saw what they didn't he saw that when this gospel went forth that Satan fell from heaven that it affected him there so Yes, there was this battle going on that we could see. But yes, there was this other battle on that we couldn't see. And Jesus could see it. And he, he let them in on, on, all of, on all of that. So here, Daniel has this word. Again, it comes rather incidentally. I, I don't know that, that you know, that's... It just, it just comes, this, this informant, this angel informant says, This is why I was delayed. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the, I don't, I don't think there's any significance to the 21 days, except that it coincides with the amount of time David had been praying. I don't know why it wasn't 24 days or 22 days or 19 or 7. I don't think that's the point of it. I, I think what we're to see there is that as we pray, God answers. And as God answers, it, it, all kinds of things are happening in the world that we can see and the world we can't see. And so if things don't happen as quickly as we ought, we're wise to that fact. We know it's bigger than what we can see, what's really going on here. And so, so there you have it. But he tells him this angel does to Daniel. I'm going to give you a vision about what's to come. We're going to open up this book. Everything's written in it, so it's all determined. We know what's going to happen. But don't worry. 
in this unseen world, there's one who fights for you, Michael, this real champion. And so then, what do we do with this? Well, here's what I, here's what I think we don't do. I don't think we spend our time praying against the prince of the kingdom of the United States or the kingdom of England or the kingdom of, 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 uh, of China or any of that. Because Daniel's not instructed to deal with those guys. He's not instructed at all to pray about the, 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 this uh, Persian prince or this Grecian prince or any of that. There, there's no instruction. There. As we come through the scripture, we don't see people, uh, you know, I call it getting all Peretti on us, but you have to be a person of the 80s to understand that expression. But, but I, I don't see that we're to engage in that. That's God's deal. We, we have a window to it. We know that it's going on, but, but, but God's working all of that. And he's working all of that, yes, in response to our prayers, but our prayers aren't about that. In fact, if we're going to stand against evil, we read about it in Ephesians chapter 6. We're to, we're to stand with, with the armor of God. And, and we, we stand in, in a sense as Daniel did. He stood, stood in the midst of this truth. He knew that God loved him. He believed it. He didn't have to be afraid. He knew that God was fighting for him. And so he could stand up. He could stand in the midst of this with these visions and the difficulties going on in Jerusalem and all of that. And so, so now Paul writes that, yes, all this is going on. And so we're to live in such a way armored with that which God gives us to be armored with. And so he speaks of the belt of truth. Now, since this is the armor of God, it's God's armor. Therefore, it's God's truth. All right. So we need to know that which is true from God's perspective, that which God says is true. Now, what Daniel would know was true was that God loved him. What Daniel knew was true was that God heard his prayers. What Daniel knew was true is that God would fight for him. All of that he knew was true, and he he would know it from this word. We know it from the word of God, this truth. The scripture is the truth. It's God breathed. It's God's truth. We must know and uphold and stick to this this word. We have this breastplate of righteousness. Since this is the armor of God, it's God's righteousness. It's the righteousness, first and foremost, that he gives to us and he clothes us with. Not our own righteousness. If we walk in our own righteousness, then we will fail every time. But he says, no, put on my righteousness. Nothing can penetrate my righteousness. When the accusations of the evil one come against you and say that that you are unrighteous, we say, I know. That's why I need the righteousness of Christ. And so I stand in his righteousness. That gives me peace to know that I'm in his righteousness, not my own. And then as I learn and as he enables me to live righteously, I still don't depend upon that. I trust that's his righteousness at work in me. Does it make sense? His righteousness 
at work in me. He's working his righteousness in me. As Paul would say, Christ is being formed in us. I'm not becoming divine, but I'm becoming conformed to the image of Christ, his righteousness. I need to, and then I need to have the gospel of peace. I need to know that it's good news and I need to know the bad news that there was uh, disharmony between me and God because of my sin. There's disharmony between God and, and human beings because of our sin as human beings. But, but there's reconciliation that's come. That's the gospel that brings peace. It brings peace first between us and God so that then we can have peace in our own lives so that we don't have to be anxious And again, Daniel was able not to be anxious, not to be afraid. Why? Because he knew he was loved by God. He knew that he belonged to God. And so that's what the gospel tells us. Here's how you belong to God. You belong to him. You're reconciled to him because of this gospel, this good news that says Jesus has come and Jesus has died for you. So you believe in and you're reconciled to God. So you can stand in the face of whatever seen, or unseen, because you know that you belong to God. There's this helmet of salvation that he says, yes, that, that covers the whole thing. That's what we've been talking about. See, these little pieces of armor are different, but not really. Right? They're different, but not really. They, they kind of blend all together. Because it's this, this, this truth about righteousness that comes through the gospel that brings peace and I know that, and I live in that, and that protects me, this salvation. And since it's God's armor, it's God's salvation, that it means the salvation that he brings to us. And so I realize this salvation is not because of me, my merit, but his. And I rest in that. And I have peace because of that. If for a minute I think that I did it, if for a minute I think that it, it depends upon me, then in that minute I sink. And so it's his armor, his salvation. And then he says, take up the shield that'll keep you safe from everything that comes from the evil one because it's built on truth and the righteousness of Christ. And it's built on the gospel that brings peace and it's built on, on, on this salvation and believing in that that no matter what the evil one throws your way, you say, no, 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 I believe in Jesus. I believe in this truth, you see. And, and so, so that protects from anything that the evil one sends against. And he says, then go on the offensive, take up the sword of the spirit and you know that when we speak this word of truth, we take up the sword of the spirit, when we speak this word of truth to ourselves, then we speak this word of truth to our children, and we speak this word of truth to our friends, and we speak this word of truth in the context of worship like this, you know, you can't see it, but as Jesus said, I saw when you guys did this, when you went out and spread this gospel, I saw what happened. Satan fell from heaven. I have no idea what that looks like, but, but, but I get the sense of it. Something's going on in this realm that I can't see that's defeating what I can't see this Satan. He says, I know that's happening. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't speak. But, but as you speak this word of God, the battle is being won, if you will, in the midst of that. And then he says, pray. Pray. At all times, all kinds of prayers, 
We pray all kinds of prayers on a Sunday morning, an invocation that says, God, we're in your presence. Please come. We, 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 we are called by you. Please, please now enable us to be and enjoy your presence. Be with us. And confession, right? And adoration and petitions we make. We pray before we read the scripture, a prayer of illumination, all kinds of prayers for all of us, for all people at all times. And, and I think, if I could just say this, I think my weakest part of my life, I think our weakest as a church, is praying. So in your small groups and, and uh, when we call to have people come to pray, come to pray. We need to do this. It really is powerful. Uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, it has been purported to have said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than she feared an invading army. When you love unbelievers <laughs> to say that of you and of our church, I fear their prayers, <laughs> right? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be wonderful to, to have that reputation? Because prayer is powerful. Well, let me adjust that. Prayer itself isn't powerful. I mean, there's no power there. The power is in the word of God. The power is in God, you see. It's in him. He's the powerful one. When we say we believe in the power of prayer, we know what that means. What we mean is we believe in the power of God. We believe that as we, we pray, that God, that God is powerful to really act. And then finally this. Just bear this in mind. James says, that it's the prayer of the righteous man that's effective. That is the prayer of the one who's clothed in the righteousness of Christ, who knows the truth about himself, sinner, God, holy, who knows this gospel of peace, Christ died, forgiveness, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, with a heart that says, my chief concern, is the honor and the glory of God. Hmm. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do pray for me, for us, that we would walk in this, that we know this truth, be clothed in the righteousness of Christ to live righteously, that we would know the gospel, our own weakness and sin and the salvation that comes through faith in Christ. And Father, that uh, we would have the helmet of salvation, that we know the truth of your salvation, that you have saved us, not we ourselves. That we believe it and have this shield of faith so that every time something comes against this truth, against this gospel, against our understanding of the righteousness of Christ, against this salvation, that we would know and we would we continue to believe and persevere and stand against whatever it is coming against us, whether it be fear or anxiety or disappointment or, or discouragement or, or attack, real attack, physical attack, if you will, be able to stand against it. And Father, that... that um, that we would, would know this word of God, that we would speak it to ourselves and those around us and, and, and that we would, we would know its truth and believe it and, Father, that we would pray. We trust, God, that you hear our prayers and respond. And we know that we're loved by you. So be with us, I pray. Be with those who suffer on this day, who find life difficulties, where the temptations are great to think that they're not loved, to think that you're not faithful. 
that you did not hear their prayers. I pray, Father, that, that you would convince them, confirm to them your love, your hearing of their prayers to bless them. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.